0: maybe it's a classic or maybe a flop has katie seen it she probably has not she'll sit down and watch it if it's good or it's bad hey have you seen this this? no katie hasn't seen that hi i'm katie and if i had a nickel for every time someone said to me wait you haven't seen this movie oh my god you need to see this movie i'd be very rich So this is my podcast, where I finally watch those movies you all have told me I need to see, and I tell you what I think. Well, 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 look who's here making me watch another 80s movie. It's all of you. This is the third movie of Community Choice to start off Season 2, and you all are making me watch Big Trouble in Little China from 1986. This movie specifically has been brought up to me so many times and I just haven't watched it. It's got our boy Kurt Russell. Kim Cattrall is in this? James Hong is in this. Uh he looks very familiar. I know I have seen him in a ton of things. But before we go too hard into this, I have to do my spoiler warning. Obviously, I have to admit to you all, this list is getting kind of iffy. There are a lot of words that are very similar on here, so I'm just going to do a scroll and the first word I land on is what I'm going to use for my spoiler tag this week. It annoys her when she doesn't know that they're spoilers. See what I'm saying? There's too many similar ones on here. So, spoilers are dead ahead. Be aware of that as we dive into Big Trouble in Little China. I have absolutely no idea what this movie is about, but John Carpenter directed this? What?! The John Carpenter, you know, who did The Thing and, I don't know, Halloween? What the f I am, okay, I am 10 million times more intrigued now about this movie. I love me some John Carpenter, but I'm going to say something kind of controversial. Halloween is a slow ass burn and it takes some time to get into the shape. And it was a little slow, but you know what? I stand by the shape being an iconic horror character that everybody knows. When you see the shape, you're like, yep, don't want to encounter him in a dark alleyway or any alleyway or any house or any neighborhood. You never want to look out your window and see the shape staring back at you in your laundry. So I'm really excited to watch this. John Carpenter, I guess, directed this. I'm not sure what this is about, but, you know, I like to try to guess. Yes, I did just say guess. I don't know if I invented a word, but I meant to say I'm going to try to guess what this movie's about. I'm thinking Kurt Russell's in New York City and maybe just maybe encounter something supernatural. Before I was not thinking something supernatural. But then as soon as I saw John Carpenter's name, I'm thinking there's something supernatural involved here. But what is that supernatural thing? I have zero clue, but I think Kurt Russell's going to try to handle it and save New York City. So that's my guess what this movie is about. I mean, I see promo pics of Kurt Russell with an Uzi, so I'm pretty sure it's going to have some action in this. It's listed as an action fantasy. I secretly want this to be some sort of horror movie, but I don't think it's going to be. So I need to quell that expectation right now. It's probably just going to be a fun romp in the city, I'm thinking. Also, it clocks in at one thirty-nine, One hour, 39 minutes. You know how I feel about movies under two hours? You couldn't tell what that was? It was a chef's kiss. Movies under two hours. It's just where it's at. I'm just, you know, it's just where it's at. I feel like I need to find a movie over two hours that I legitimately think is worth it. Let me look up how long The Mummy is. I stand corrected. Okay, The Mummy's listed at two hours and four minutes. I guess good cinema can clock in over two hours. And I know like Lord of the Rings, there's some good movies over two hours. I'm going to say it, though. They're very few and far between. Am I a monster? You decide. I think I just need to blame society here for a second. Just thinking about the sheer amount of instant gratification we have nowadays. It's like computer, phone, television. I can order something on my phone and have it delivered to my house. I don't even have to cook food. I can order my groceries. Oh, I can just order something on Amazon and then it'll be at my house in two days. I don't think my attention span is what it used to be. I remember when I was a kid and there was this big book series that came out and you would go buy the book the day it releases. And these books were like 800 pages long. And I would sit there and I would read and just take all of that in and I don't know where my patience has gone. I know books, television, movies, that medium is very different. I just think like with the advent of Netflix, HBO Max, like even moving away from commercial television, like in the sense of cable where you get breaks where you can get up and go to the bathroom or get a snack and not miss part of a show or you're kind of at the mercy of the network. Like when I was growing up, I loved Sabrina the Teenage Witch and it was on at 9 p.m. every Friday, so I remember my sister and I would always be like, "Ah, oh, it's almost time for Sabrina," and so we'd have to get everything done, and then we would sit down like, and it was like appointment. We would sit down and watch our show, and I kind of miss those days of just not having access to so much all the time. And I think being able to just switch from something that's maybe not so interesting to you, you can just go to something immediately right away. So I feel like maybe sometimes with movies, maybe that has affected me more than I realize. I guess what I'm getting at is that in the 90s, even we had such a different viewing experience. Like you would go to the movies and you had to go to the movies to see it. And now, because of COVID and stuff, like HBO will get movies on release dates now and you can watch them instantaneously without having to leave your house. And now I kind of like that subscription services are doing the once a week release of TV shows. I just appreciate being able to digest them one at a time. I really love the show Euphoria. It's dark. It's gritty. The way that it's shot is beautiful. I love the cinematography in it. But that comes out once a week on Sundays right now. So I can only watch the new episode when it comes out on Sunday. I can't binge the whole thing and then go on Twitter and spoil it for everybody. That's what happened with Squid Game. When Squid Game came out on Netflix, I didn't get a chance to watch it because like with my husband, we try to watch everything together. So it's not like I could binge it and we both work. And so it was just like we got to watch it when we could watch it. But people just kept posting spoilers. And I'm like, I don't have the time to just binge it in one night. And I got frustrated about that. So I feel like my giant tangent is getting at I don't think my attention span is what it used to be. And I kind of miss the specialness of going to see a movie or going to the video store and picking out your movie and coming home with that intention of, it's movie night, I'm going to order pizza, I got popcorn, and I'm going to sit down and watch this. And I think that's the reason why... This is just me trying to crack the code on why two hour long movies seem to be a lot for me. (laughs) I think it's just this transition in our society and culture of how we consume entertainment now. And I'm so used to being like, this is a dud click and I can go to the next thing. But I miss that. I miss being able to do that ritualistic movie watching experience like we used to. Because if it was a movie of two hours, I'd be like probably pretty stoked because I'm like, I went out to the store. I walked along the aisles. I picked out this movie. This movie is mine. I brought up the empty case to the counter. The person behind the counter gave me the actual DVD. And then I drove home with the intention to watch this. And if it was good or bad, it was just what it was. You didn't have the option to just kind of put on whatever you want. So I digress. So I'm watching uh, Big Trouble in Little China. I'm very curious, though, if any of you feel that way or have any thoughts about that, I would love to hear or read about it. So as always, you know, jump in Discord and talk to me about it. We have a channel in my Discord. You just search Discord Katie Peters Plays and you'll find it. There's a bunch of people there where we talk about a lot of this stuff. And also, you can just comment on my YouTube or Twitter. I just want to hear people's thoughts about this because I just feel like even in 20, 30 years, things have evolved in a way that are it's so different. And I feel like the way we consume our entertainment is so different. It's not necessarily bad, but I feel like there is something to be said about there being too much all the time, especially for someone like me who gets overwhelmed easily and is very anxious. And I think it does affect my movie watching experience. But this movie clocks in at one hour, 39 minutes, so I think we're good. (laughs) Now that I've done that, we're going to get to the box office since I have zero idea what this movie is about. I'm really stoked John Carpenter directed this. Kurt Russell's fun. This is going to be a good time, I think. I always worry when I say that, but let's see. The budget for this movie was twenty-five million dollars. However, the gross worldwide return was eleven million one hundred dollars five hundred and seventy-seven bucks. Ooh, that's not even half. I know that some of this stuff might be estimated, but damn. Okay, I didn't. I didn't expect that. Okay. All right, um let's see what the reviews are. 7.3 out of 10 on Internet Movie Database. That's pretty promising. 74% on Rotten Tomatoes. Audience rating though clocking in at 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. 53% on Metacritic. But guess what? 93% of Google users liked this movie. Maybe they watched this movie after going to the video store and they picked out their movie Big Trouble in Little China. Got some popcorn, ordered a pizza, maybe even had a soda on a weeknight. Maybe maybe the Google users, those 93% of people, they did it the right way. Okay, I'm going to go watch this, and I'm going to let you all know what I think. Katie is back. I watched Big Trouble in Little China. I also... Have acquired a cold in the process. So I'm hoping I have a cool radio voice and not one that sounds like I'm hella congested, like I'm feeling right now. But don't worry about it. I got myself some Moroccan mint tea because apparently I asked my Alexa, who you can change the name of your Alexa to computer. So obviously I did that because I want to be on the enterprise. So I asked computer, what's the best tea to drink when you're feeling sick? And she's like, yo, I got you. Green tea and mint tea apparently are the best, and Mark accidentally bought a mint green tea mix. So happy accidents, just like Bob Ross instilled in me as a young child. But I did it. I consumed with my eyeballs Big Trouble in Little China, so why don't we just talk about it? Because just like this movie, I don't even know where to begin. We meet Jack Burton, played by Kurt Russell, and he's hauling ass in that semi. So he's like a semi truck driver, right? Oh, I like to do this thing now where I read from Rotten Tomatoes, like the description of the movie. So I'm going to grab that here in just a second. But I just need to say something before I do that. There was so much extreme semi truck driving. I don't know if they hired some sort of like stunt driver who was like, you know what I can do well? Semi truck driving. And he just went for it. There was so many situations with the semi-truck that made me either A, nervous, or B, go, oh my god, they're driving so fast. There was a lot of driving fast in this movie, but I'm getting ahead of myself, so let's just go quickly read the synopsis for this movie. Kurt Russell plays hard-boiled, hard-boiled? What does that mean? Like, I know about hard-boiled eggs, okay? Okay. I'm not trying to do a tangent here. I had to like look this up because I'm like, I have never heard a person described as hard boiled, but apparently it's a thing. And it says you use hard boiled to describe someone who is tough and does not show much emotion. She's hard boiled, tough and funny. All right. I guess it's a thing. I just needed to rectify it before I continued with the synopsis because it made my brain choose to take a break for a second. Kurt Russell plays hard-boiled truck driver Jack Burton, who gets caught in a bizarre conflict within and underneath San Francisco's Chinatown. An ancient Chinese prince and Chinatown crime lord has kidnapped a beautiful green-eyed woman, who is the fiancé to Jack's best friend. Jack must help his friend rescue the girl before the evil Lo Pan uses her to break the ancient curse that keeps him a fleshless and immortal spirit. So, you know, just a standard movie plot. This movie was not what I expected in the slightest. I mean, it's a John Carpenter film, and I've seen a few, but I just, I don't know. I didn't know what to expect. Legitimately, when we meet Jack Burton, the first thing I wrote was his acting, LOL, and then the dialogue, the way that they talk, or should I say yell, um, is a choice, just just the dialogue is just line after line delivered with heightened volume and not a lot of expression, more so just it's like they're saying the words and they're coming out, like especially with Kurt Russell, his character Jack. It's just a lot of that. I felt like the dialogue was just delivered oddly at times or a lot of the time. So it starts out with Jack and his friend Wang and Wang's girlfriend. Is coming into town. I think it's like they were long distance dating and she's coming to town. So Jack and Wang go to the airport to pick her up. And that's just where shit starts to get real. They're in this airport. Jack starts talking to another character who we don't know the name of yet, but it's a pretty blonde woman. And Wang is just enamored with his girl coming through the security gate. And there's like this group of people that just like start fighting and Jack gets involved. It just it gets very weirdly messy. But the ending of all of it is Wang's girlfriend gets kidnapped. So Jack and Wang decide to chase after them. Obviously, you're going to do that. If someone you love is kidnapped, you you generally want to go after them. So that's what they do. But there's just like weirdly placed things in this movie. Like the blonde girl who we come to know later as Gracie is in the parking garage where they have to leave and follow these people. And she just happens to be in the parking garage. There's just some, some oddly placed things throughout this movie that I'm like, how did they get there? Oh, wait, who is? Okay. All right. I guess that's a thing. But they start a high-speed chase through Chinatown while Jack's driving his semi and almost crashes into a Chinatown bus. For a moment there, I was like, are we the bad guys? But don't worry. 10 out of 10 times, the car veers out of the way just in time. But they follow this truck down these alleyways and then they're, oh my gosh, then they get stuck by what is being described to Jack as a funeral uh, possession, (laughs) not a funeral possession, that's very different, a funeral processional to honor someone who has passed away. And then the best way I can describe this is that an all-out gang war begins and these two opposing uh, groups of people in Chinatown decide they're going to fight during this funeral processional. But while this is even just getting started, I'm still dealing with the fact that they put so many people in danger while they drove around Chinatown. But apparently they're stuck in a semi during a gang war now. So they just hang out in the semi and watch this unfold. Seems kind of like a wrong place, wrong time kind of moment. Just hanging out in a semi, watching a fight go down. The fights are kind of cool in this movie. They do at times seem pretty choreographed, which I know fight scenes in movies are choreographed. So nobody gets hurt and they can do badass things you normally can't do. But sometimes I notice like people were taking a beat to be like, gotta wait for George to hit me so I can put my arm up. And that was mostly the beginning of the movie. I felt like the flow later on got better with the fights or something shifted or maybe I just got more used to it. But I love martial arts movies. And every time I watch one, I'm like, oh, this is super cool. I just never seem to search them out. I really enjoyed Ip Man when I watched that a few years ago. And I know there's like two more. And I just haven't taken the time to watch those other two. So I think I'm realizing about myself that I actually really do enjoy a good martial arts movie. I'm so impressed by people who can fight that way and make it look good. Because, catch me rolling up, I'm just going to try to stay out of the way. This is also the scene, though, where all this fighting's going down for the first time, that we meet our supernatural friends. I don't know how else to describe this. There's just like a shift where it's just like kind of gang war maybe happening. People killing, like like literally killing each other in the streets. And then all of a sudden it's like, boom, here comes these beings that are like gods that you need to fight now. It was kind of a bit out of the blue, but yeah, that happens. So there's this guy that shows up in a green cloud and it was shocking that just a bunch of people were dying in the streets due to this fight. Like they just, he kind of pops up. Everybody's a little bit afraid of it. Like, what is that? So they all back up and that gang fight ceases for a bit. But then you just look around the streets, like on the set, and you're like, oh my God, so many people just died right now. So Jack is like, let's get out of here, guns it in a semi. A lot of these other beings that, you know, can shoot lightning out of their hands or have really badass weaponry that spins really fast. There's this other dude that we also come to learn is Lopan, just standing in the street like, Run me over. The other ones like jump out of the way. But Lopan gets run over by the semi. And so Jack gets out and then apparently looks at Lopan and gets mouth and eye blinded. I don't know how to describe it. He shoots light out of his mouth and eyes. And Wang is like, don't look at it. And so they ran away. There was a funny line here, though, where he's like, don't look at it. And Jack goes, I already did. (laughs) So the writing kind of worked for this, which... I did not expect to say today, okay? but they run it like cross a street and start splashing city puddle water into Jack's eyes, which made me die inside because I don't like germs and I don't like street puddle water and I would not want that in my eye. But, you know, I guess when a situation arises where someone looks you in your eyes with light ball beams, and mouth beams. You just got to do what you got to do. The best way for me to describe how Jack speaks in this movie, and I wrote this down in my notes, is he talks like he was just at a concert the night before and that he needs to yell everything because he doesn't know what the volume of his own voice is. And I won't lie, I think that is the perfect way to describe the delivery and expression of Jack Burton in this movie. So we come to find out these supernatural dudes are just the lords of death. No big deal. But Wang takes Jack back to his family's, I believe it's like their restaurant, and they start coming up with a plan like, what do we do? We have to get Wang's girlfriend back. And all of a sudden, Gracie Law shows up. That's the blonde woman from the airport who's played by Kim Cattrall of Sex and the City fame. I've never really seen Sex and the City. I don't know if it's good I know that she decided to not be in the new reboot of Sex and the City and everybody was kind of pissed at her. But, you know, you do you. Sometimes you just grow out of things. And she didn't want to be in Sex and the City anymore. So I don't know why I'm talking about this because I've never even seen the show. But she's in this and she shows up at the restaurant. But I can't and I don't know if I missed something. I don't know how she found them at the restaurant. How did she know they were there? And then she just shows up and starts like, Talking about, like, we gotta figure this out. They're writing for Gracie, and I'm just gonna say this they're writing for most, if not all, of the women in this movie. Is like they were told they needed to talk like 1920s broads Like, how are you gonna get us out of here? Oh, it's like 1920 transatlantic people, but only the women being like, oh, you're gonna spring us out of this place, Jack? How are we gonna do that? It was just weird. It it was only the women I noticed that for. And I just, I love transatlantic pretending talking. Is that what you call it? Pretending talking? <laughs> I like walking around my house talking like I'm from the 1920s. Call me weird, but it's fun. You get to be like, oh, you're just the bee's knees. It's You should try it sometime. But I think in this movie, it didn't really make sense for someone to do that, especially Gracie and then her reporter friend, who, okay, I gotta say, there's some problems with this movie just, like, in how it's made and how it's acted. And I don't know that it's necessarily the actor's fault. I think the writing is just, they did the best they could with the writing. I have a huge issue with movies that tell versus show exposition. Like, you need to explain stuff sometimes. I feel like movies rely too heavily on it a lot. And this movie, The Exposition Method, is rough. It's like they had to go to the White Tiger, which is kind of like a sex place, I think. (laughs) And it's like they go, the White Tiger, the place where all the ladies have sex with men. Or there's so many airplanes flying over today that I've had to stop recording to let fly over. And I would like to formally ask the air people to let me record my podcast, please. But hopefully that makes sense in regard to the exposition method where it's just like overexplained or this is Tracy. She works at the newspaper and she writes articles on this. And then sometimes you mean Lopan, the crime lord from downtown. We've you know, like it's just a lot of overexplained things that like it's not how people talk. It's like if a character says something like I'm going to go walk into the sheriff's office. And then another person goes, the sheriff's office, the one on Main Street and 5th, the one where Sheriff Jackson runs the town like he owns it, the one where he also has a picture on the wall of a man with a mustache. It just overexplains stuff. I just don't know if there's a way to avoid that. Maybe sometimes there's not. But this happened a lot in this movie. And once you notice it, it's hard to not notice it. And even with those explanations, sometimes the movie felt to me a little hard to track. I'm like, they're over here now. Okay, now they're doing this. And then there would be an over explanation moment. I'm like, okay, I mean, I guess. It's like a movie that's made of tiles and the tiles all kind of fit together, but there's grout that they put in between them to make it make more sense. And that's how I felt the movie was at times where it just didn't flow. It wasn't a, it wasn't a flowing movie. But at the same time... It is just so rapid-paced and so much is happening that it's hard to kind of catch your breath watching it. So the girl who's kidnapped, Wang's girlfriend, is at this white tiger location and gets kidnapped by the Green Cloud Lopan man. Well, is the Green Cloud one Lopan? Actually, I don't think that was Lopan because Lopan is fleshless. So I think it was one of his cronies kidnapped the green-eyed girlfriend of Wang and took her to another location. And essentially from there, it's just this wild adventure where they're going down elevators that turn into open bodies of water with dead people floating in them. And just kind of this fanciful underground world that they need to navigate now in order to save Wang's girlfriend. Somehow they've gotten themselves entrenched in this underground Chinatown black magic world. They get captured a couple times and they escape. One situation in which Jack goes backwards down a long hallway that's on a slope in a wheelchair and almost fell into what looked like the well from the ring. You know what's weird? I've never seen the ring, but I know about the well. So there, there there's that Should I watch The Ring? Um so yeah, he gets caught on the edge of this well and he uses his bare muscles to get him upright and jump out of the wheelchair before it goes crashing down. And I just Put in my notes, not realistic, but I guess that's not the point. (laughs) So, this is the point in the movie where I'm trying to figure out what it's supposed to be or how I'm feeling about it. I couldn't, for most of this movie, figure out how I felt about this movie. I will say I enjoyed the SFX makeup, which when I saw The Thing, I watched The Thing a few years ago just on my own, and I was really impressed with the special effects makeup in that film. So this movie, I didn't expect anything less. And I really did enjoy the practical effects and, you know, the lightning bolts and the clouds and all that stuff. Very 80s special effects. But the makeup and all that I really did like. Now we're kind of entering the third act of this film where Lo Pan is like, I got to lift this curse so I can be flesh again. And I need to marry the green-eyed girl. And that's where things just start to go even more crazy And off the wall. And as I'm trying to figure out what this movie is, I'm just sitting here like, who are these people? What kind of life have they led? Because Jack was shooting people and they're all fighting each other. It's just like, how did they get here? From the beginning of the movie, it just seems like they're regular people. And then they're just like going full Rambo mode. And you just kind of have to accept it at this point. There are many opportunities where people need saving, they get saved, they're escaping, and they're going through an underwater tunnel. And Gracie's very, you know, concerned about where everybody is, but then when she finds Jack, she kisses him. Or they kiss, I don't remember who kissed who, but I wrote, why did they kiss? And I am not joking, there's like 30 question marks after it. I just don't understand in movies why people kiss when it doesn't make sense. I guess high adrenaline situation, two attractive people need to touch mouths. I just don't like when movies put a romantic element in because they feel like it needs to be there. Because sometimes I'm like, life isn't always about romance, sometimes it's just about survival. But it was also at this moment that I think I realized this movie had some comedy in it. And I was like, is this a comedy? And I just buckled in for the rest of this film. They're about to get out. Things are looking good. They have fought against many foes. And everybody's supposed to be getting out right now. But there's eyeballs in the wall. And of course, Gracie notices that an eyeball is looking through a mask on the wall. And nobody checks to make sure she's there. And she gets taken through the wall. And this is also where the movie throws a curveball, where there's now creatures. We have some creatures that live in the walls. And we just have to also accept that. I mean, this world is magical. So, of course, there's going to be, you know, sewer trolls that steal women, apparently. They got to go save her. You know, they got to go save Gracie. But also, they still haven't rescued Wang's girlfriend. She's still kept captive. But then they find out that Gracie also has green eyes. So, Lopan's like, yo, I got to marry both of you. And uh, now they got to save them both. Too Long didn't read. They drink some magic potion and they have this epic fight at the end. There was some cool stuff. Like I liked the neon lights around the skull and the art design of that last fight sequence. They can fly now. They're kicking some ass. Jack's got a knife in his shoe. So he kills this massive dude in one thing, but then he ends up on top of him and he has a hard time getting out. Giggity. This fight was fun. It seemed heavily choreographed again at times, but it wasn't as noticeable in this final fight. And I enjoyed how they did this. And then there's this epic moment between Lopan Pan and Egg. I think it's Egg Shen. And they do a light battle. That is so much like the Harry Potter wand fight that I'm like, oh, Harry Potter stole this from Big Trouble in Little China. That was kind of neat. Like the lights met in the middle and then they fought with shadow warriors essentially in the magic and I thought I was like you know what I I get that I like that they finally save the ladies and Lopan becomes flesh and in a final blow Lopan tries to assert dominance and like throws a knife at Jack and then Jack catches it and throws it back at Lopan and kills him because he's mortal now and there's a line that Jack delivers where he says it's all in the reflexes I would yell it, but I I know you're listening to this right now and I don't want to yell in your ears, but that got a hearty chuckle from me and that's saying something. The ending is kind of just the ending. There's what appears to be a semi chase as they're escaping and like cops and stuff, but nobody chases them. And then all of a sudden they're in the restaurant kind of celebrating and Jack just decides, you know, he's gonna drive off into the semi sunset and start talking on his ham radio. And there is the troll monster from the sewer kind of latched onto his semi, so it's like a ooh kind of ending. It was just fine. A lot of movies do that where they're always like, The creature, it's not over yet. I don't believe they made a second movie for this. No, it doesn't look like it. So just one of those kind of semi cliffhanger endings on a semi. (laughs) So what did I think of Big Trouble in Little China? I liked the second half of the movie much more than the first. It's so bizarre that it kind of works. And I didn't think that was going to be words I said out of my mouth. Yeah, so the movie grew on me. I thought the creatures were cool. I enjoyed the special effects stuff in it. I liked the fighting. There's literally no explanation for this stuff. It just happens. And I think once I resolved that it's just kind of happening, I liked the movie more. You know, I didn't hate this. I don't think it's a movie that I'm going to sit down and be like, oh, got to watch Big Trouble in Little China. Got a hankering for it. But it's not one of the worst movies I've seen. And it's definitely not one of the worst movies I've seen for Katie hasn't seen that. But I really want to know, like, what you all think of this movie. Do you like it? Apparently, it's like a cult classic. We're going to do a little bit of trivia after I give my final review number. But this movie didn't seem like it was a hit. It seems like it became more of a cult classic. So what am I going to give this movie? I'm going to give Big Trouble in Little China 7 out of 10 overexplained plot points. I'm just as shocked as you because I wrote this down Earlier, I'm like, am I really going to give this movie a seven? And sometimes I adjust it. I'll like write down my initial number and I'll change it leading up to when I record the episode because it's marinating. I'm thinking about things. I'm figuring out how I feel about it. And this one just stayed at seven. I feel like almost it's a little high, but I also don't feel like it's wrong. So tell me, what would you give this movie out of 10? Tell me in the comments. Tweet at me, all that stuff. You know I love to see it. But we have some fun stuff to talk about before I go, like some trivia from this movie. This was something that Mark had brought up when we were watching it, is that the character, I don't know the name specifically, but one of the storms, I think, is what those minions almost of Lopan were called, inspired Raiden from the Mortal Kombat series. So these storms serve as like protectors of Lopan. Big sorcerer people doing big sorcerer things. One of them shoots lightning. It doesn't seem like Raiden is specifically designed after this character in Big Trouble in Little China, but that it did help inspire the character of Raiden. So that's kind of cool. From Internet Movie Database, it says, Three storms were partly the inspiration for the popular character of Thunder God Radon from Mortal Kombat. While David Lopan was the inspiration for the evil sorcerer Shang Sun, There is also an interesting fun fact how Kurt Russell suffered a really bad case of the flu during a scene just after the brothel. And it says here that the sweat on his body is real because of the fever. As someone who's had pneumonia and been really sick before, you have to be like so sick to sweat like that. So holy crap. Not special effects or someone spraying Kurt Russell down. Just legit, his body fighting off an invading illness. And last but not least, I thought this one was interesting. There's a DVD commentary of this movie and John Carpenter said that Kurt Russell's character, Jack Burton, seems to be the hero of this movie. But other than killing Lopan and saving Wang when he shoots the guard, he is more of a sidekick throughout the movie. And I low-key kind of like that. So, there's a fun little trivia tidbit about big trouble in little China. Uh oh, it's future Katie, and it's time to share some thoughts from all of you who listened to the Mars Attacks episode. And boy, oh boy, it was a fun one. I'm feeling better. I am testing negative for COVID, so that is good. If you're keeping tabs on Katie's health, I feel like I sound a little bit better this week. So, Without further ado, I want to share with you some thoughts that you all shared with me about Mars Attacks on the latest episode of Katie Hasn't Seen That. And up first, this comment comes from Discord from the lovely Acid who said, Ooh, I just finished listening. I watched the movie in the late 90s, I think. I definitely had nightmares. I think I want to rewatch it. The handshake with the president lives in my brain. You ever have things from movies that just stick with you? They just live rent-free. I feel like Mars Attacks has a lot of those moments, so I totally understand. And if you rewatch it, I want to know what you think. Did it hold up? Did it give you nightmares again? Thank you, Acid, for sharing your thoughts. And I'm going to pop on over to YouTube where we got some real cool, real nice comments over there. And the first one is from Gothic Mess, who says, OK, starting right out, I loved the Beetlejuice 2 drama. My parents were weirdly OK with me watching this as a kid, which they later regretted when I was too scared to go to sleep. LOL." The finger scene and the skeleton disintegration in the first contact have been burned into my mind ever since. I've watched it all the way through since then, and I agree with your review score. Hooray! It's an interesting bundle of ideas and spectacle that, for me, it didn't tie together into something extraordinary. I'm loving season two. Can't wait to see what other movies you have for us. I hope you enjoyed this episode, Gothic, and I'm glad you agreed with my review because sometimes some of you do not agree with my reviews. (laughs) This movie has a lot of memorable things that just kind of get burned into your mind. And I'm kind of glad I watched Mars Attacks because now I feel like I can relate to other people who have seen it. And I know I've said it in the past, but that's one of my favorite things about Katie Hasn't Seen That is I can get in on the jokes or I can get in on the conversation now because I've actually seen these movies. Also, I'm still wondering about Beetlejuice 2. Is it going to happen? Do we all think it's going to happen? And last but not least, we have a comment from Demystificator, who had a quite a lengthy comment on the YouTube. So I'm going to just pick and choose a little bit of what you shared, just because I think it's an interesting conversation. Demystificator said, I feel like a lot of people hate Mars Attacks because it's basically making fun of America, systems, and values. I personally really like this movie. Not a fan, but I do enjoy its vibe and dark humor. But the more I see Americans speaking about it, the more I think I like the movie because I'm not American. I would probably dislike a movie that makes fun of my country and stuff. You also went on to share that Nicholson played two characters, maybe a reference to Ed Wood. Burton is a fan of that director, and he made a biopic about him in 1994, which was known for cheesy space movies and casting an actor for two roles. So it might be that. That actually might be why he did have Nicholson play two characters as a little bit of an homage So who knows? I mean, maybe if I ever get a chance to talk to Tim Burton, I can be like, hey, why did you do that? I think it's interesting discussion to bring up that a lot of people don't like this film because it makes fun of American system and values. I didn't feel that way. I am an American and I am totally down for making fun of my country. I feel like it's sometimes needed and maybe a little bit humbling and might be necessary. I actually enjoyed the movie quite a bit. So I just wanted to share that thought because I thought it was a little interesting thing to maybe put into people's minds to think about. And if you agree or have any thoughts about it, share with me. I want to know. Thank you all for your comments on the Mars Attacks episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode on Big Trouble in Little China. And I can't wait to hear what you all have to say about what I had to say. I will look for you all on Twitter, YouTube, Discord, all the comment sections. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with me. It means a lot. I love having these conversations with you. And I will catch you all very soon. If you want to hang out with me more, or if you just want to yell at me for my thoughts on a specific movie, I stream over on Twitch at www.twitch.tv slash If you'd like to support the podcast and buy me a coffee to fuel my reviews, you can over on Kofi at www.ko-fi.com slash Plays. You can join my Discord to discuss the movies I review with other Katie Hasn't Seen That fans by visiting discordapp.com slash invite slash Plays. If you enjoy Katie Hasn't Seen That, please leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps others find the show. Also, feel free to follow and chat with me on Twitter at Play Katie Play and on Instagram and YouTube at Katie Plays. Music written and performed by Mark Can Do It. Katie Hasn't Seen That is a part of the Geek Generation Network.